Well, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> One okay, would assume. Um, so, <laughs> but it's so it's like made in Japan and canned in Japan, but for sale in Australia. Hence why it's called Monsuta Okinawa Dry with like a giant kaiju sumo on it. So it looked super tacky, but when I read on the side that it was actually made in Japan, I was like, oh, okay. Player 2 Pixelcast episode 63. I'm your host, Tim Henderson, sitting here hot, sweaty, and isolated in a country that does not know what lockdown is anymore. I'm getting Dude, maybe I will be by the time this goes live. Hey, Huso. <laughs> Howdy. You're with us? Are you a free man? I am a free man. I'm, I'm in uh, mask-wearing land, but not in lockdown land. I have been in mask wearing land so long now that the back of my ears is chafed. <laughs> like, it's just perpetually red back there. This is how you know, like, Andy Maskers have never actually worn a mask because I don't know the shit that actually fucks you up. <laughs> yeah, they complain about the breathing thing, not the actual irritation. Yeah, it, you, it turns out you get used to it after about a week pretty easily. Yeah. Anyway, um, to spare you all from just having two old Muppets yelling at you for two hours, you've managed to drag a third onto the show. Steve, welcome. Thank you. Do you have any cool stories? I too am. Uh, oh, I'm. I mean, we're freshly out of lockdown in Queensland. Uh, we're still masking up. Lots of uh, dick nose, as I like to call it, when you go anywhere. Though, oh, still, God. people who don't know don't know how to wear the who mask. Who don't properly. understand how a respiratory virus might go in through something that breathes? <laughs> no, and then go not. out again through the same thing that breathes. Oh. It, has, it just has to be willful ignorance. Anyway, this is not some sort of... You're not listening to Coronacast. I'm not Norman Swan. Um, <laughs> yeah, this is a video games podcast on some small website called player2.net.au. Please, please visit us. And this episode round, this fortnight round, we're basically going to be talking about... I'm going to I'm gonna use Steve's word instead of mine. I just say impactful moments in games. Talking about something cool shit, something some sad shit, some just rad level, some cool thing that happened by accident in an open world or multiplayer game. Whatever, it goes. But that comes after the break. And to begin with, though, you know, games, probably games that you can play now. And um, Huso, the embargoes are shining on us again. They are. They've worked out really well. The um, embargo for this one's Tuesday night, so uh, this will be really good for us. Uh, Watch Dogs Legends Bloodlines, the big DLC first big DLC for Watchdog Legions I've been playing for the last um, few days finished it last night it's a hefty bit of uh, Watchdogs uh, DLC it's not a small one it probably took me about you know six seven hours to finish which is a, a nice chunk for a piece of DLC um, none of it was wasted time either everything had a purpose it didn't feel like a lot of you know just go here and you know, open up the map sort of shit that Ubisoft can do on occasion. Um, yep. It, it was really interesting to play because I was expecting nothing of this. This is the one where they're bringing back Aiden Pierce, the most hated video lead video game character in oh, the history of video game characters from Watch Dogs 1. So it starts off with Aiden Pierce, and, and he's it's like 15 years after the first Watch Dogs set. So he's a bit of a crotchety old man now. He's kind of living out of his car in Chicago, trying to stay off the grid, that sort of thing, because, you know, he's 
committed a whole fucking shitload hey. of crimes. Staying um, off your grid by living in your car in a major metropolis. Well, so. yeah, but he's still doing work as a fixer, so, you know, that almost cyberpunk sort of style job that, that, that fits in the Watchdogs world really well. Um, and he gets a call uh, from his mate saying uh, he's got a job for him in London if he wants to get over there, and he thinks, oh, that's great, my ne- nephew which was, you know, a big story beat in the first Watch Dogs, is now living in London. On a, He's there on a scholarship. Uh, I might go over there and do this job and visit him. And, uh, you know, shit goes sideways. The nephew gets dragged in. And uh, as he's in the first, very first mission, he's he's off to steal this, this plan from a corporate entity over there. Uh, and someone steals it first. And it happens to be Wrench from Watch Dogs 2. Who's the guy with the mask? You you saw in Watch Dogs Two all the promotions. He had that digital mask yep. and all the sparks. That's Wrench. He's a great character. He's a really good character. And gotcha. it's really really odd that they well, like initially it seems really odd that they put a really shit character with a really good character. <laughs> it works. It's weird because it, it, it really seems like a lot of a lot of fanfare around including Ian and Pierce. And I'm looking at it going, didn't people not like him? No, I think Ubisoft are beating that up big time. But it does act as a bit of a redemption arc for him. I've got to admit, I was not expecting anything out of this. Watch Dogs Legions to me was fun, but it was an experiment. Like with the whole, um, you know, you can be anyone in London thing. Hmm. It was an experiment that didn't quite work because you lost the, you know, the importance of the story without a central protagonist. Um, so it, it became very, I guess, almost generic and nothing really had any impact because you just recruited more people from London. Um, whereas this, this is a tight piece of story DLC focused on two characters. Uh, and it's really, really good. Um, there's none of the extra shit you've got to do. There's some side missions to do, but they're all resistance missions. So there's been some thought put into them. They're not just stock standard open world filler stuff. Um, uh, you can, you've got a whole bunch of different little powers that your Aiden Pierce has that none of the other Londonites had in, in Watch Dogs Legions. He's got a shut down all kind of like a reset, reset electronics key that'll shut everything down for like 30 seconds so um if you're getting hammered by you know drones and things like that you can shut them down for 30 seconds and and hightail it out of there uh it is handy um he's also got a um active reload on his gun so much like gears of war if you get that active reload right your bullets are worth more damage uh but it's a really good what it does is is it um kind of takes the story from Watch Dogs 1 which was bland and and probably tells the story they wanted to start, tell to begin with this is a story about a man that kind of regrets his past and there's some and if you've played Watch Dogs Legion there's a lot of there's a, there's one big part of that where um you go into someone's brain um and I won't spoil it too much but you get to go into Aiden's brain in the same way you did in Watch Dogs uh, legions where you went into this character's brain uh, and it's quite the well put together moment in gaming it's, it's, it's funny we're talking about moments in gaming and this is this could huh. be one of them um, because it's re- it's you're, you're in the mind of someone that's regretting his his past and regretting what's happened and the loss of his niece and the things he's caused and the blood that's on his hands and it's a really, really well put together segment where you where you play through his brain, and, and I, I thought it was really fascinating. So, 
I think they've they've realised that okay, maybe we do need central characters to tell the story. Um, the the, uh, the random approach didn't quite work. It was a fun experiment. It just didn't quite nail it. So so this is really good to see, and, and I, I think it really proves the point that you need that central protagonist to tell the story. Um, and I won't spoil anything more, but just Watch Dogs 2 fans, there's some really big moments in this DLC that you're going to get a massive kick out of. So um, if you played Watch Dogs uh, 2 and um, you... Uh, you know the characters in that you'll you'll get a big kick out of some of the moments in this so it is watchdogs it like if you don't like the the core concept of watchdogs you're not going to like this but um if you got a kick out of any of them at all this is a really really good piece of dlc like pro- possibly the best piece of dlc ubisoft have put out since um blood dragon so so does blood dragon count as dlc because yeah blood dragon was pretty freaking good <laughs> yeah so it's it's a really really good piece of dlc um much more than I expected it to be. I really didn't expect to like this like I did. So, and I, I ploughed oh, through it. Like I said, it's about six, seven hours. So it's a good chunk of DLC, and uh, it's well worth it. Really is. If they do a complete edition, is it possible for you to jump straight into Bloodlines, or yes. do you need to have done like the? Okay, that's yeah. It's, a good it's thing set for completely different time period than Legions. It's set before Watch Dogs Legions. So, in the, in do you the think they'll period. sell this separately, like they did with some of the Assassin's Creed things, like Freedom Cry and things like that, or do you think they're going to keep it locked into well, it, having to have Legions as well? It's a part of the Watch Dogs uh, season pass, so I would think not. But the, there's no reason they couldn't. Um, it'd just be creating its own menu, sort of thing. Um, but it it, uh, it doesn't need uh, the the any of your saved files or anything from from the original game because I actually asked that question because I reviewed it on Xbox and they sent me a PC code for um, <laughs> Bloodlines and I said oh well, is this gonna do I need a save game for this and they said no it's it's just another option in the menu that you can start anytime you want so wait so it still plays independently yeah it plays independently your your save doesn't affect. But it, it's kind of a, an interesting prequel in the fact that if you've played Watch Dogs Legions, there's things in there that you get a kick out of by knowing what's coming down the track. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm just sitting here going, I don't know if I really want to play all of a, a full Watch Dogs game, but if you've got six or seven hours, it seems really tight, that may actually be of interest. Yeah, that was it was really good. And look, I, I honestly, it's probably up there with bigger surprises this year I really didn't expect much from it mainly because of Aiden Pierce, and he's a boring <laughs> it was the most generic boring fucking vigilante character ever written in Watch Dogs 1 are you telling me you didn't go out of your way to get the special edition that came with his iconic hat <laughs> he's still got the hat but it's all ratty and shitty and his jackets and that's really cool because you can make Aiden because Watch Dogs Legion has this futuristic London fashion. Um, so you can actually go to the shops and make him dress up in all this weird shit just because he's not the cranky man in the trench coat anymore. You can make him wear bright purple spandex if you wanted to, you know. So he's <laughs> the cranky man in bright purple. Bright purple spandex, yep. Because nothing says I'm sneaking by you like bright purple spandex. <laughs> the games have always been kind of bogus. You may as well lean into it. Yeah. But worthwhile. Anyway, 
I might actually keep that in mind. I was looking at it recently, I was like, I just don't know if I want to go through a whole open world thing, but... Uh, like the story in Watch Dogs Legion is batshit mental. I will put that out there. Like, it starts off of this really cool kind of London, you know, 1984 London with the ultra surveillance, and then it just takes a turn into fucking mental town with crazy ass sci-fi stuff. So, oh, you, now you're actually kind of selling me on. Yeah. <laughs> if you I'm just did the story missions, you'd get a kick out of it. I reckon. Huh. I, I do like the idea of just that shit crazy story stuff at the moment. But we do need to move on. And um, Steve, you've been building stuff? Oh, yeah, so- somewhat. In uh, Nintendo's Game Builder Garage, which you can find my review uh, on Player 2. Have we put that up yet? No, it's tomorrow. It's scheduled for tomorrow. So, yes, we have in other well, words. Well, by, by, the, by the time you're hearing this, you will be able to go and read that review. Um, it's... If you've ever used the PC program Scratch, which is basically like a software program designed to help people learn how to code, mostly primary and high school age children generally. Uh, It's like a graphic user interface, so you're sort of dragging and dropping things to make programs. That's basically what Game Builder Garage is doing, but it's just got a lovely Nintendo sheen over the whole thing. So you get to make, you know knock-off versions of things like Flappy Bird and a knock-off version of, you know, Mario and all these other sorts of ideas using all of the built-in elements in Game Builder Garage. But the biggest thing is not the fact that it allows you to do these things, but the fact that it will teach you how to make and also understand the concepts behind a lot of game design elements through some really robust tutorials. There's probably between 10 and 15 hours of tutorials in there if you're really taking your time and reading through everything and uh, you you have to take quizzes to open up the next tutorials to make sure that you're understanding what it is that it's trying to teach you and sometimes it'll show you how to do the wrong thing and so that you understand why something's not working and things like that. It's um, I think if you had any experience or background in that, you'd find it fairly insufferable. But for someone who doesn't have much experience in game design or development, it's a pretty fun way to wrap your head around some of those concepts and see just how much smoke and mirrors is going on in a lot of these um, video games that are out there. Smoke and mirrors, you say? So it, it, it reminds me of... Uh, there used to be one click and play or something. Yep, I remember when, that. Yeah. Boy, that's going back. That was, it was like when I was in like year eight, we used to, but it was like, you know, used pre-made assets and dragged them in. You could make a Space Invaders clone or something like that, or, you know. Yeah. Yeah, Like you've got, you've got some room to basically tinker with values and other things. Um, You cannot import external assets into Game Builder Garage. You can customize things to a fair degree. Like I've seen people have done like Mario Kart knockoffs and Sonic knockoffs, um, customizing some of the graphical elements and things like that. But um, there is only so much you can do in the game itself, or at least in the um, building part of it. So after you do the first couple of uh, tutorials, it unlocks what they call free programming for you, and then you can just go hell for leather and build anything you want. Uh, Of course, it's Nintendo, so... Uh, the online service isn't as robust as it could be. You have to swap things with friend codes and stuff like that. Oh. Um, 
Oh, uh, you can get other people's projects, but you do have like you, there's not just a thing to let you search for them. You have to get the code off, oh, you know, the sucks, internet or though. something like that. Like the the main joy uh, of Little Big Planet was just you, yeah, was just just <laughs> smorgasbord of weird shit that people have made and like just trying to find or dreams, kind. you know. Yeah, the, the, it looks like they've looked at dreams and gone, "How can we make this more awkward?" <laughs> it's um. I'd say it's way more limiting than Dreams, but much better at onboarding than Dreams was. Um, and again, it's... Because it is. It's really like babies first, you know. It's the fact that you're not actually coding. Like, it's a graphical user interface and you're dragging and dropping and using a lot of pre-made assets. It's going to help you understand the design principles and limitations and things like that behind game development, but you're not going to be cranking out coding on anything after using Game Builder Garage. It's, you know, something to maybe see if you're even interested in that sort of thing. Um, or it's kind of like Minecraft in a way. Like, you could just use it to play things other people made or just build the tutorial games and play those and never do anything else in it ever. Or you could build a working supercomputer out of parts like can you, you can in Minecraft. Can you bounce off a so, resources limit? Like, jamming the assets in or something um i don't know if anyone's hit that yet i'm um you'd have to look at some of the projects online i'm sure someone will but i don't know if they've programmed any limitations to stop that happening but being on switch hardware i imagine it wouldn't be too difficult to get it to the point where it's just dropping frames like crazy yeah but also being nintendo i wouldn't be surprised if they did put a limit there to stop anything from getting too janky yeah yeah, it seems like the kind of thing Nintendo would do. So, if you've had like, and it's not a, I don't think it's a full price title in most places. So, you can pick it up for a reasonable price. And if you're interested in just getting an understanding of some basic game design and development principles, it's, you know, really enjoyable. It's got that Nintendo sheen. It's not janky. And the way it teaches you is, um, you know, I, I am a teacher. So, I, can get pretty critical sometimes about the way things are set up when, you know, someone is trying to teach you how to do something. And I think the best thing it does is it shows you things that are wrong and why they're wrong. It doesn't just lead you to the correct step every time because it wants you to sort of then start to think about, okay, well, why didn't that work? It doesn't work because of this and things like that. Rather than if you get too used to just following tutorials step by step, then you don't really develop any skills outside of following instructions. Yeah. So I think it's good that it shows you things going wrong and why they're going wrong. And it's funny. Like some of the stuff that it does that just shows a complete fail is like, I literally laughed out loud at some of them, which, you know, it's fun. It's fun to watch. Yeah. It's fun to watch games be janky. (laughs) If it wasn't, there wouldn't be so many, you know, montages of it on YouTube. Higher YouTube channels, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And a quick curiosity. Yeah. So is this, do you actually play this on the TV? I'm wondering, is this like mostly touchscreen centric for design stuff? It's, it's really touchscreen um, focused on some elements. So I, I didn't even bother trying to run it um, docked just because you are hands-on so much of it and so much is dragging and dropping and, things like that and resizing boxes and shifting elements and stuff like that. So it really is pretty touchscreen heavy. Which makes sense. Yeah, it, was, it does. I mean, you got it there. You really want to use analog sticks for that. And no, it'd be a nightmare. Yeah, exactly. 
No, it, it does look pretty cool. It also does, again, look very limiting, but I imagine, you know, this is the sort of thing that I think 10-year-old me would be all over and if you have kids in particular. Oh, and I think yes. I mentioned that in the review. Like, it's the kind of thing where for most people, they'll just shrug and say, oh, yeah, whatever. And then in another 5 or 10 or 15 years, you'll have all of these, you know, young developers saying that, you know, they, you know, Game Builder Garage really captured my imagination and then I went on to learn how to do all this other stuff. That's possible. But no, I mean, who knows if Mario Maker is even going to have that sort of effect going online. But... Yeah. <laughs> Mario yeah, Maker is way, like, way more centrally focused. This lets yeah, you do it, a lot more customization. Oh, yeah. I mean, I have to Mario Maker is literally just make Mario levels, basically. Uh, Mario Maker. <laughs> yeah. Literally what it's called. Make old games new again. And speaking of which, you so yeah, you 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 sent me a key you thought I'd like. I did. Apparently, you didn't. I mean, and it, it's it's not terrible, I guess. I want to say that. Um, <laughs> I thought it was not terrible. I I don't understand how our scoring system works on Metacritic, but I now have the lowest um score for Russia in Monster World on Metacritic. <laughs> yeah, and this being it is an odd way they convert our letters into numbers i've got to admit so a c minus is like 42 percent yeah i think yeah i i'm sure that some of my students at school wish that they could get a c minus from 42 percent but that's not the way the real world works but someone has to have the lowest score tim and it might as well be you well i gave the lowest score um i'm like a dick I mean, it, it's one of those things where like, yeah, these Wonder Boy games are actually pretty good. And those last two, you know, they remade Wonder Boy 3 and then they did that other one. And both of those, they're good games. The Dragon one, Wonder Boy and yeah. Dragon something, something. I forget the subtitles, but they're both, real, like, they're both games I could very easily say, you want to play some sort of side-scrolling adventure kind of thing, go at it. No trouble in recommending them. And then, uh, I get send Asha in Monster World and I'm like alright I've got another one and like the moment you boot it up and you're like oh this looks simplistic this looks very much like anime 3D graphics done in Unity oh no like just right off the bat you're like oh this could not look any more generic if it tried and it just seems to be lacking this like last pass of detail especially since the other two games again look really fucking good like it's been a long, it's been a long fall from that um, really, really gorgeous hand-drawn animation that we had in that original week. And if that background buzzing is gone, it's because my fan is turned off, so I'm going to be turning into a puddle of sweat soon. <laughs> but, oh man, it's just, they've literally taken a game from like 1994. They and they're calling it a remake, and I guess it, it technically is. Well, it's it has been released before. It's on the Mega Drive Mini. Okay. And I think it may have been like on the Wii or the Wii U eShop or something like that in the past as well. I actually went and played the Mega Drive Mini version 1 to verify that it's there. And 2 for just the first stage of it to verify for myself that, yeah, this is... They literally have just basically... They've added a... Well, it's more than uprising. They did, like, remake everything in 3D. And honestly, in some ways, it looks worse. Because <laughs> it's just so lacking its own character. It's like just, like, bare minimum of detail... Yeah, just kind of bright paint by numbers anime style whereas the first game had a certain amount of character to it 
And I think as I even mentioned in the review itself, it's sometimes even like it's so perfectly side on that it, and that in its defense, I guess the original sprites were as well, but the sprites had like an exaggerated depth, which you get in 2D drawings, whereas this sometimes looks even flatter than the um, original Mega Drive sprites did. So, oh man, and it somehow sounds worse as well. <laughs> And, so and so you're, weird, you're not making it sound very appealing. It's, it's not. It's, Look. it's like it's the definition of like it's fine. And the, I think the thing that's frustrating me, I'm like, I mean, I bashed through two thousand words trying to get this out in the review. Is like for a game released in 994, it seems kind of ahead of its time and like interesting in a lot of ways. But they did nothing. They did literally nothing to like draw out the potential, which I think they could have done. We've seen remakes of stuff like actually kind of going and tinker with design as well. Yeah, I was talking about an Oddworld game that I think does that a couple of weeks ago. And well, so it's you like look at Mega Man, like you look at the new yeah. Mega Man, like Mega Man Nine, and you go back and play Mega Man Eight, which I think was the last old school two D one, and then they did Mega Man Nine, and like you play the two, they look the same on the surface, but they're very different to play. I mean, this is it's, it's like um. It's like Shovel Knight and all of those games that masquerade as that retro style, but the way they play is so much more modern in so many ways. They've learned so much. People like, oh my god, it's just like, yeah. And that's the thing. uh, It sounds like you can't really just slap a fresh coat of paint on a game from 1994 and leave everything else the same and expect it to be amazing. I mean, they did a couple of things. Like it's it's now safe anywhere, thank heavens. Um. And there's more than two save files, but the save anywhere, just what it really highlights is you need to do that a lot because and they get very hung up on this. There'll be so many points where there'll be just like a jump or something that unless you get lucky, you're not going to make it on your first turn because they just don't give you the visual information that you need yeah. to do that. And it won't kill you for it. It'll just send you back halfway through the stage. We are talking about a period in time in which like Disney readily admitted that they made games purposefully more difficult so that you couldn't finish them in a single rental. In a rental, yeah. <sighs> but I mean, this, this actually gets worse as it goes through. But it's it's like, it's a lot of forced backtracking that like has no space being there. And I it's like, I'm sure if they had had more time or put more time in, I think it's actually just limited resources. Like the whole thing smacks of, Quick we've got just done. enough money to do this. Yeah. Then they could, but like just the fact that none of the design has really been tweaked at all, and you just kind of got these other concessions that are just kind of band-aided over the top of what is in some ways still kind of an interesting little thing. I mean, I like the simple purity that you're just some guy's daughter off to be an adventurer. Effectively, you're going to become a hero. That's the whole purpose of this thing. You end up in this town, and they're in some sort of trouble, and there are like four portals that you have to open to four different worlds, and it's... You know, it's not quite Metroidvania, but it's not really a platformer either. It's this kind of side-scrolling adventure. And that's so cool, and some of the ideas are neat. You get this little pet, so that instead of, like, normally double-jumping, you actually have this pet you have to call over. Um, although that whistling sound is really annoying. At some point, I just need to hold it all the time, and the TV's just going, tweet, tweet, tweet. Every time you want it to come over, you, it also, like, fills in for um, things like gliding down. Um, you literally, literally throw it into pools of lava so you can walk on it. <laughs> I, I feel and you do the same with like friggin ice later on as well I don't know, it's like there are these clever ideas that are in here but like the quality like the it just reminds me of the games used to 
like sometimes try to trick you as opposed to helping you get through them. Yeah. And there's just so much of that crust left on there and just small things like, why is there not just like a quick tap map button? One of the stages has a map and you have to go through like three menus to get to it, at which point you don't even know what you're looking at anymore. Mm, it's a Rockstar game. <laughs> <laughs> Rockstar at least has a GPS, even if you're on a horse. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I just like the combat is just it's one attack, one attack. So it's literally hit, wait, hit, wait. Yeah. There's not even like a three button combo there. Like, oh, you know what? I I know I've said before I like would not specifically advise against this. If someone gives it to you for free, sure, give it a go, but do not buy this. <laughs> so the forty two percent is probably fair. It's it's less than it, like I mean. <laughs> It's fine. Like, if you had it as flat 50, seems okay. I think the problem now is, like, there are so many good games. And there are, yeah. especially now, there are, like, a lot of good side-scroller, either Metroidvanias or just side-scrolling adventures of some description or the other, that there's just no reason to buy this. No. There are two other, there are two very good other um, Monster Boy games. There's another Metroid coming out later this year. You've got stuff like Axiom Verge, Ori in the Bl- Like, there's just... So much other stuff to buy instead, and Steve is gesturing like crazy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna campaign for you to get a box coat with that one. There is no reason to buy this. It should just be right there on the cover. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think the publisher is gonna be very happy with me. <laughs> you could, maybe you could print out your own little cards and just go to like JB Hi-Fi or wherever, and just if they had the boxes there, just stick it on there. <laughs> oh. I'm not in Australia. No, I did once. I gave unsolicited. I stopped this immediately afterwards. I think it was in high school or university. I gave unsolicited advice to somebody who was looking at like buying video games. I think it was for like one of the portable Assassin's Creeds, which by all accounts are terrible. And then like the person's mother order was like, oh, we already bought it. We were just like, as <laughs> a Christmas present. And I just like walked out feeling like absolute garbage. Do not give people unsolicited game advice in stores. <laughs> None of my ass in there. Yes, in there. That, I mean, I may have been right, but I was also a dick. <laughs> and yeah, in any case, um, it's getting unbearably hot in here, so I'm just going to call it. Let's take a drinks break. Drinks break. And when we come back and we'll lift it up, we'll have like cool fucking moments and shit. Drinks. Cool stuff. We're back, and I apologize for that bummer, but in all seriousness, um, if you want to play said not Wonder Boy, Wonder Boy game, just buy a Mega Drive Mini and try that version for like five minutes. We're now going to focus on cool stuff, specifically. Um, I forgot the word, the clever word that Steve used. I'm just going to say cool stuff that happens in games, like cool moments. 
It's like a, a rad sequence, Impactful be it scripted or not. Moments, I believe. Impactful moments. Thank you very much. I had my beer three hours ago and it still affected me. And that could either just be some stupid story beat that made you cry. It could be some weird random shit that happened in an online or on, on, online or open world game. Could be something out of Uncharted. That thing's got like a million and one um, cool moments. scripted sequences. Or it could just be some cool weird little um, mechanical thing. The only rule that we really have going here um, is that we're not going to talk about anything from this year. We're just going to keep it up until 2020. And Steve has already typed in the thing that I knew somebody's going to bring up. So, you know what? It's just, all right. Control came out last year, Steve. Yes. Do talk about your thing. Two years ago, yeah. Control. Oh. Yeah. I, oh, I, was, I, was, I was just trying to find out if Matt was going to bring that one up because I know he's a big Control fan as well. I'm, I completely missed it, but yeah, go for it. She literally says that uh, so, uh, was awesome at the end yeah. of that section of the game. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So obviously the ashtray maze in control is um a very trippy uh extended uh scripted sequence in that game, um, with a rocking soundtrack to go with it. Uh and as the as Jesse says at the end of that, um yeah, that was really cool or whatever her line is I think the I think it was the intent that there was, was awesome. that every single person who just rapped. yeah that every single person who finished that sequence is like yes yes it was <laughs> I would have found it more awesome had I not actually managed to die halfway through the first one there's nothing that really takes the wind out of a sequence like that <laughs> like a dog or, and fucking yeah that's Maybe they didn't script it enough. Maybe they should have made it so you literally couldn't mess it up because I that think would I'm just like completely a- throw off the flow of that thing I think I was uniquely clumsy. I'm probably like a 10% case. <laughs> um, in terms of like emotionally impactful moments, uh, th- there's a few that I'll flip over. One that seems really strange now in retrospect, but I, I got like weirdly upset at the end of Final Fantasy VIII when I finished that as a like a, a teenager. I don't know. I, I can't even remember why, because I can't even remember how like that game ends. It's something to do with Squall, obviously. Um, I think they make out the they make you think he's dead or something, but then it's like the reveal that he's not he, he, he just, just joined Gandalf my chemical moment. romance. Um, and, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, super uh, super emo Squall um, got me upset <laughs> as a teenager for some reason. Um, Moving forward, uh, there are a few moments in Life is Strange that are pretty um, impactful, I thought. There's one reveal, um, I can't remember which episode it's in, but uh, um, you are Max and Chloe so is the very first in Life is a strange. wheelchair. Yeah, the first Life is Strange. And basically, she asks you to um, help her die, essentially. Like, it's this alternate... Oh, wow. Um, alternate past slash future where things have gone totally different and she is just um living in a hospital bed in her house and can't move and was in a car accident and is just in constant pain and she basically asks you as max to um send her off with an overdose of drugs that sounds like a million dollar um, baby moment kind of yeah it's it's pretty confronting um and then, of course, uh, people with their snooty noses in the air who uh, like to lord their 
extensive knowledge of various other art forms over people will probably be huffing and puffing at this one but the last of us and the last of us part two uh the first one obviously i doubt there's a person out there who played that opening 20 minutes of the first game and didn't feel like they'd just been punched in the face at the end of that it's really easy yeah, to but- look at that moment uh from the like in the past and go wow that was super cheesy and it was super just like every single beat of that was designed to elicit like there was it's very easy to be cynical about that 20 minutes it's so calculated but yeah, when you yeah. don't when it's the when you're experiencing it for the first time you don't know you're on the ride yeah yeah no, I mean didn't they actually and do like live performances of that like they actually had the voice actors yeah I think so I think they've done audience. some stuff like that but yeah, and obviously that was, you know, the early days of um, Naughty Dog where I don't think everyone was as wise to their tricks. So now it's really easy. Oh, the camera's, you know, pulling really tight in on my back. I'm probably going to get jumped from the side. Things like that that we are now aware of when you're playing one of their games. But to have that, like, switcheroo at the start of that game, I thought was pretty um, intense and obviously set the tone for where it was going to go and uh the last of us part two is still probably one of the hugest um bummers that i've ever played yeah your your moment has to be um you know shorter than 40 hours long (laughs) problem is that the whole that whole game is just a series of bum moments like every shitty decision i I would say every character in that game makes there's one moment in that that like made me really smile and that was when you stumble onto the music store and I think you can actually miss it if you yeah. don't explore and and you play if you don't um, go into that room you don't see that yeah you play future take on me by aha uh-huh. and and uh, there's the Pearl Jam posters and stuff and, and yeah and future everything. days yeah future days and things like that and that's uh, awesome that that moment's really awesome where she's sitting there thinking about Joel playing the guitar, I thought that was unreal. See, I've got a really good thing and have- that I remember was like, I, I'm terrible with planting traps. I would generally just try and stick up people and like cap them in the head or just take them from behind. But I had one trap that not only worked perfectly, but the camera had their leg explode directly into it just with where I was. <laughs> nice. At that point, it's just like this one point is like, oh wow, I got like cool action game moment again before it becomes all, you know, kind of just bleak I think there's the, the, there's probably two to three impactful moments in that game that really stand out for me both for good and for bad I'm not going to say the one that everyone expects um, I think probably the hugest bummer moment in that game uh, from my perspective is when Ellie decides that she can't let go and bails from the farm yeah. and just completely fucks up her relationship with Dina and I think the Second one is when she's choking Abby out underwater at the end. She just has that flash of Joel where she doesn't hear him screaming anymore. She sees him playing guitar on the porch. Yeah. Sort of mirroring the way that Abby's flashbacks start to transition from going in and finding her dad in a pool of blood to him standing there smiling. Like, they reach a point of not maybe just acceptance and yeah. moving over revenge but I'd, I'd say out of that that's the two that are just yeah like 
it, like especially that second arm is like wow just I know you're gonna leave the farm but I really wish you wouldn't because no, just you're an idiot. she is just a broken person by the end of that yeah. game just in every conceivable way I think the thing that maybe of all the sequences I have like one extended sequence which I don't know should be in the game I think it's maybe the game would be better if it's taken out I love that whole high rise thing where you're um oh scared Abby and, uh, yeah uh, and, and you forgot the kid's oh, name yeah. yeah that was Led. great from the kid lived yeah like that whole sequence I think was great I, I actually wonder if the game would be better without it as an overall package but I love that sequence a lot mm. um, but also like when you're actually kind of going back and you're like revisiting what Joel did from the perspective of the doctors and how much trouble they were having yeah coming to that decision and you kind of like the reinforcing is like yeah well I mean Joel did save Abby's life but also he did also very very possibly condemn humanity yeah to a permanent apocalypse it was pretty obvious at even the end of the first game that he was kind of a selfish dick but you could understand why he was a selfish dick but at the same time that doesn't mean you condone what he did and and it's the kind of choice the um, what if choice that people struggle with they never make it completely clear yeah like Ali guaranteed lives Although I think that sequence, when they play it back, makes it seem like they were really, really onto something. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the when you when you put all the scenes from the second game and compare it to the first game, obviously they developed that in a bit more detail, but they make it pretty clear that, no, she would not survive the surgery, but mm. yes, this would probably result in a vaccine. And, of course, the, the key moment is when... Um, I think Marlene decides she's going to go and tell Joel that that's what's happening. Yeah. yeah. So that's another like little thing that they throw in there. Like, oh, if she hadn't have gone and told him, he wouldn't have known. And then it probably would have been too late. But then you're like, well, he would he have just murdered every single person in that place and left the vaccine there? Like, you know, it's a very kind of like a ripple effect, I guess, in a way. But a lot of third conditional happening here. Mm. Right, that, oh, that's yes. where, that's, I, I was another- trying to say cool and happy stuff and we've got an incredibly bleak um, so do you have anything that isn't you know about the end of the yeah world? so I well there's one really impactful one that is a bit bleak so I'll, I'll skip that one for the moment but uh, Bioware story yeah. moments I've just kind of lumped them in together um, I was thinking of the Revan reveal in Knights of the Old Republic or the uh Jade Empire, there's the betrayal when your master turns out to be the big bad and they've kind of left clues for that the whole way and you didn't really catch on until that happens and you go, oh, really? Yeah, that makes sense. And then, uh, or Morden Solus dying, that was a bit sad. But like the, the Bioware are very good at making these key moments that kind of come out of nowhere but make perfect sense in context with what's been before it and i think the revan reveal is probably the the biggest one the one most people would know about when when you the jedi find out that you are actually darth revan it's it's a really really good scene and and i think um it's it's one that always sticks in my head of of, you know like bang on story moments that that they just got right in all sorts of ways so um and they were really good at that by the way so i really hope they get back there (laughs) Yeah, good luck with that. I, I think you're going to have to start looking at other studios. I'd like to be wrong. I, I, I hope. I hope. Like I said, I think Anthem was the failure they had to have, um, so that forces them back in the other direction. So I hope that is the case. 
Um, the other, the, uh, from a mechanical level, there is not a better level in first-person shooters than cause and effect, and I'm sure Tim was probably going to mention it too. Um, I mean, that that level is great. It's, We're talking Titanfall 2 here. Yeah, Titanfall 2. Just, just zapping between time zones, using it to solve jumping puzzles. It's, it's just a brilliantly put-together level. It's really, really good. Um, the first, for, from a technical standpoint, I'd say the first time seeing RTX implemented properly in control, yeah. that's pretty impressive tech. That made me go, holy shit, like seeing reflections in someone's eyeballs and things like that. It's, it's pretty crazy. And yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's made me a big fan of the technology once, once it gets, you know, a bit, a bit better implemented. I think it, it is definitely the future. Yeah, looking for it. I hate to say it, I'm already looking for the PS5 Pro because this thing is the console feature at the moment that's driving me mad. Yeah, is that you, you get to choose between the frame rate and the thing. It's like, look, just optimize it and make it the best it can be. Because I, I, th- I think it'll come. Going to uh, it's it's flip like all between consoles. these two options. You know, the the start they don't really work the best way to get the most out of it until probably you know three or four I th- games. I in. I think performance and visual modes are here to stay at least for the next few years. Um, um, I've got but, two more that are both pretty hopeful if we want to... Yeah, all right, let's go up, in a sec. Yeah. Uh, so, d- did either of you guys finish near Automata? Yes, no. I know that. The end credits are in, on my written list. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, for those who haven't played it, um, at the end of the game, you have uh, the opportunity to uh, play this kind of little arcade uh, shoot 'em up that becomes impossibly difficult and it gives you the option then to uh, like sacrifice your save or keep your save I can't remember which order this happens in but basically no, you it's can at the um, very end that elect the to literally up. delete okay before the before the sequence so it tells it asks you to do it before you play this sequence no you you play the sequence and then because the sequence explains oh, what's yeah, going to okay, happen so, to your save Oh, very good. Yes, so basically uh, what ends up happening is that all of these other ships come in to rescue you in like this completely uplifting moment and the music's going off and it's really like emotionally impactful because it's later revealed that all of those ships that came in to save you were other players who sacrificed their save game so that they could come and help other players who were struggling with the end sequence. So you then realize that every single other ship on there that helped you get through that was someone else who played through the game and elected to delete their save games from their console hard drive permanently so that you could get through that end title sequence. So so worth it. I mean I did that. It's worth emphasizing. It is not it is not bluffing. Like it will it will erase your data. Um the previous Nia did this as well, actually not with the end credit sequence, but it also had a Hey, um, we're going to delete your data if you want this ending. Which it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the ending of um Journey somewhat, like the really yeah. kind of well, I also have Journey vibe. There. The thing is so, I mean, Journey, that, end, that last stage of Journey, which I know some people hate. I don't know why I actually thought the bit where he claps in the snow would seem like a very predictable thing that was going to happen. Um, but the whole premise of Journey is you're armed effectively with a voice. You have, they mm. intentionally didn't give your characters arms because they found if you take arms away, people don't expect to be able to do violent shit anymore. Yeah. And the game was like, you're supposed to, you know, usher people with you and like help them find the way, not push them into pits. 
Yeah, yeah. And so literally all you have is a voice which can help people find you and it can lift you. you can lift each other up a little bit with your voice. You catch the other person's voice which is just represented by this kind of barcode like symbol, QR code like symbol. And you get up there and at the very very end of the game when you've basically died, you kind of just get shot up in this like really uplifting like violin soaring kind of bits of music and you're just flying. And the visual language that's set up is like what you are flying on is just the voices of literally everybody else. And so it just kind of beautifully encapsulates this whole, you are in this together and you are lifting each other up. You are helping each other. And it's like one of those few bits where video games or any media made me feel good about people. Yeah. It's funny. I was so late to the party with Journey. I ended up playing it on the PS4 for the first time. Playing through. I did it in one sitting like I think most people did. Yeah. Um... But because I left it late, I think I didn't. I only had one person, kind of one oh, or two dude. people, come through it with me. So I don't think it had the same impact that it had on everyone else. So I think I was launch day with that because I had um, gotten flower as soon as it came out, and then was you know impatiently waiting for the next thing that um, they put out. Another one that I've got that's a pretty generic one is that. And we'd be used to it from open world games is that really sort of like heroic camera swoop we get when you hit that world opening up moment. So I things like had Breath God of the of Wild War. or... Uh, <laughs> when when you beat Boulder and you come up and you see the, like, the turtle tree and stuff in God of War. You know? Oh, yes. Yeah. I thought you were going to refer to getting Blades of Chaos back. Oh, no, that's a that, that was also in my list. That is... One that of the is, best scripted nice. sequences in games, I think. I think it's just just him sitting in that boat, uh, talking to Athena, um, and going back to get the Blades of Chaos. It, it is it's a, it's a spine tingling moment. That one. Just the just Christopher Judge's delivery. Yeah. I know of such a weapon. Like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like oh shit. Yep. As soon as he said it, like people that have played, already left those in Greece. <laughs> My boys had yeah. played God, the new God of War, and they obviously never played any of the old ones, and they didn't quite get it. I said, this because I was watching my boys play it, and this is the best part. And uh, they're going, oh, yeah, whatever. No, you don't get it. <laughs> I mean, one, they're teenagers, and two, there is a bit of history there that without yeah. it, you, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, one of the coolest like- things in games, hands down, ever, is multiplayer Guitar Hero. Or multiplayer rock band. Uh, Never got to experience and I still hate it. Oh, it is just, you know, beers, Guitar Hero, it's just the the greatest thing ever. It's really the, the best party game you can ever have because anyone can do it. It doesn't matter. Mum gets yeah. up and has a go. Grandma gets up and has a go. You know, the kids play. Everyone plays. It's you're either terrible or good. It doesn't matter. It's just about music and having fun and and really... When you I, discover I, that karaoke is really fun. Yeah. Well, no one sings. No one ever wants to sing in Guitar Hero. They just want to... <laughs> they want the instruments. <laughs> but yeah, that's fantastic. Such a shame that it's not really a thing anymore. Yeah, I know. I love it. I still I still pull it out every now and then with the boys. It's, I it's think just the fun. sheer amount of bulk and stuff associated with it meant its lifespan was always yeah. going to be... Somewhat. And I've got a few um, somewhat shorter things. 
going on. Weirdly, the thing that actually made me think of this, and it's so roundabout, because I guess this is how my brain works, is I um watched Rambo First Blood for the first time ever about a month ago. Oh, yeah? Um, that's a, that's an interesting movie. Because, it's... Like, it's, it's incredibly dumb, but also, oh, wow, look at this movie from this long ago that obviously understands that PDST was a thing. Yeah. But there's a sequence in there where he, like, takes down a fucking helicopter with, by throwing a stone. Yeah. Just <laughs> picks up a rock and tucks it. And I'm like, well, that was gloriously dumb. Like, this movie I was taking kind of seriously until that moment. And now it's all just out the window. Um, but do you know what's even Go fucking rather than that? They're on the set. What? Is the first time playing Jet Set Radio when you're, like, at major air and you spray a graffiti tag onto the windscreen of a police chopper that's chasing you for friggin' graffiti and then the entire and then it can't see and it goes crashing down in a ball of flame that was i did not know you could do that and the first time i pulled that off and that came i was just like this game is amazing (laughs) that actually reminds me there's a skateboarding quick time event in judgment that's of course there is awesome and he's, he's skateboarding down the street and then these baddies are chasing him in the car and he kind of pushes off the car and goes a completely different direction. And it's about the coolest quick time event I think I've ever played. <laughs> I mean, I feel like if I... But I shouldn't... Next time I just play any Yakuza game, I should probably just keep a list of all the cool dumb shit. that All the cool dumb shit. Cool dumb shit from Yakuza games. There's lots of it. <laughs> like 90% of a Yakuza game. Is t- cool dumb cool shit. Cool dumb shit. Less than you would think. It's just um, when it does do it, it does it so well. Uh, Yakuza 5. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kiru walks in. There's two gangs about to go to war. There's like hundreds of people. They're about to go to fight. Kiru wants it to stop. And he walks in between them and says, how can you go to war if I defeat you all? And then you fight them all. That's just the best. Does he rip his shirt off and you get like the clothes yep. of the tattoo on the back? Yeah, so you I get the tattoo. The shirt's off. The shit's going down when the shirt comes off. You just know it. So... <laughs> Just like any shirtless really? rooftop five in any Yakuza game, I think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care how many really times they do get... it. <laughs> it's never not cool. I really wish they just, like, fix up the graphics, though, so that it was really clear that it's not actually buttons on any of this clothing. It's just those, like, little buckly things that you can pop yeah, apart. Yeah, little, little, little studs. <laughs> yeah. I know. It's kind of cooler if you think they're buttons. It's like a stripper just outfit, that, you know? Which is just a... He goes and does those the full multi never, afterwards. <laughs> those games are never just the very... ready to drop that shirt. Yeah, those games are never the very, very top of the graphical pile, but the character detail, both like on the skin and the facial and the clothing, is always like immaculate. Oh, yeah. yeah. If you're a main character, you can see the pores on their faces. It's yeah, hectic. Yeah. All right. Especially in the I want to keep them going. I want to keep them going with this, this dumb... Is, this is a pretty... Oh, we're doing we're doing dumb moments. I want to keep I want to keep this dumb thing. I just remember my favorite pointless side mission in any open world game. I don't even remember the reason for it. Is Saints Row the Third, and you just have to like drive around for a minute or two with a tiger in the back of your car. Yes, that was uh, the Angel Angel de la Muerte's side missions to make you stronger. <laughs> and it's literally just you complaining, quite rightfully so, about the fact there's a fucking tiger in the back. And of the, the tiger starts mauling you if you get crash into things, and yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> it just captured the spirit of how that game separated itself from Grand, Grand Theft Auto so yeah. well. Yeah, <laughs> and the insurance forward missions and things like that, where you'd throw yourself in front of a bus to try and make money. <laughs> 
<laughs> we need a Saints Row 5, I yeah. swear. Because, oh my gosh, the, even the opening of Saints Row 4. It's easy <sighs> to forget now because we've lived through a Trump presidency. Yeah, yeah. But the way that you like end up climbing up the side of a rocket while it plays the Aerosmith <laughs> song from Armageddon, and then you just kind of somehow land in the White House and become the President of the United States. Yep. And get stripper poles oh, installed. <laughs> and then just decide to fuck cancer, Maybe. man. That... Yeah. All right, Steve, we can be sensible well, now. Why do you want to go? Uh, this is a pretty cliche one, but uh, the first time you ride into Mexico in Red Dead Redemption. Yeah, that's a... You someone's going to say that. Missed it. I still don't understand how. I never got that song. Oh, what? I've heard, I have heard other people say that. that there, there are ways you can get in there early... And it means you completely miss that moment. So I can see that being like a huge bummer because like obviously the, the song kicking in and everything is you're making a little river escape yep. over the border is like pretty huge. And then to not have that happen, yeah, like it would just be, be like dying in the ashtray maze. <laughs> yeah. That's well, great. Cool. 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 Uh. I mean, it wasn't a bummer until people started talking about it all the time, and I'm like, what song going into Mexico are people talking about? Yeah. It is a, a pretty big moment in that game. Too bad Mexico itself was a bit boring. That's the boring, most boring part of the game, is everything set in Mexico. It really felt like... It really felt like the part that they kind of scrapped a bunch of stuff in. But, I mean, they did that in the second game. You go to that island in the second game and you're just like oh this really whiffs and it doesn't look it as good as the rest of the game it's like they kind of, of ran out of time that was a very weird part of that game because you can't go back there i don't think either it's just this kind of five hour oh, yeah, diversion at all yeah it's super weirdly scripted and again like it it really felt like they'd had like the b tier team working on it because everything looked worse than every other part of the main game so i was like kind of they stop you coming back here so you can't examine it in too much detail because it doesn't look very good i mean maybe maybe it it just felt like an afterthought they didn't want to take out what about scary impactful moments um opening to system shock 2 yeah that's fair I'd say armor. Dog coming through the window in Resident Evil 2. Pretty sure I shit my pants when that first happened, on even on the PlayStation 1 graphics. Never played it on the PS1, so I guess I don't know. But, like, the, the time pressure for um, System Shock 2 was just nuts. And, like, that, I really believe that space station was falling apart. Yeah. And that, that helpful, was... not helpful voice that would turn out to be something else. Oh, man. <laughs> um... For scary one, the the one that I I think of is armor from fear. Um, the first fear. Oh yes. For, fear first encounter assault recon or whatever it stood for, but it was you fear. Up on that ladder. Yeah, you climb up on the ladder and the bitch is standing there. And Jesus Christ! <laughs> <laughs> and you drop the controller. No, this is shit. I'm not playing this in the night time ever again. <laughs> I mean, that's what you signed up for, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the other the, the sequels like, never recaptured like the sequels became very good first person shooters but never recaptured the actual scary element of the first one that really really did yeah, it well so yeah not so much I played Fear 2 and it was it was good it wasn't amazing and it had some flickering lights and shit but it was never like no not like the first sweating one sweating or anything no 
No, I, I maybe oh. slightly missed something. Not quite. So. I, I kind of want to put down just the number of times that Stan Bush's a touch found its way into games in 2013. <laughs> it did like we already touched on Blood Dragon. It was in yeah. there. Um, uh, I think Shadow was, Warrior as well. It was in Saints Row. And I believe Saints Row may have also had I think it was in Saints Row 4. So... When you first just, get your superpowers. I mean, it would be very fitting for Saints Row. Yeah. Um, there is one kind of more serious one that I had, one more on my list that I had, and it's pretty recent. It's not last year, not in the last year, but it's the la- It's a piece of DLC from Metro Exodus, um, and it's called Two Colonels. Um, it's only two hours, this little piece of DLC, story DLC, and it, and, um, it follows... A piece in time where at the right at the end of Metro Exodus, uh, as you your main character Artyom's trying to find this um, medicine to to treat his wife, his father-in-law is looking for other bits and pieces at the same same location, and he's talking to a kid that's living by himself in this ruin, and the kid's telling him the story of his dad, who was a colonel in the local resistance that was living in the Metro in this town. I think, mm-hmm. I think it was Vladivostok. I can't remember, but yeah. And so this DLC is you play as that kid's dad. Um, and it's two hours. And Oof. as that kid's telling the story to the other, to the main character for Metro's um, father-in-law. Um, so it kind of, you, you, you see where it leads to this whole Metro station crumbling under the pressure of, of living in these conditions and living in the radiation and things like that. And uh, this this dad trying everything he could to, to find a safe place for him and his son to leave, live until he eventually gets to the point where he he dies of radiation sickness. And then it switches oh, back lovely. to the colonel, uh, the Artyom's father-in-law, and he's talking to the skeleton and he realises who this skeleton is, uh, that it's the boy's father, and, you know, he has this moment where he says, you know, we do anything for our kids sort of thing. Because then it switches back to the Metro story where you see um, him, the, the colonel, give the main character for Metro the, the last of the radiation sickness, uh, the radiation medicine that, that stops him from getting sick, radiation sickness. And he dies as a result. So it kind of comes this full cycle. And it was just incredibly well done. Uh you know, I was like properly upset after playing this this two hour DC. You could play it in one hit, and I really recommend if you've got Metro and you've played it through the end of Exodus, go and play this because it is it is gut wrenching, but it is so well done how they tie the two up and 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 it might be an obvious point that you know fathers are doing what they have to for their kids, but. It's told in such a way that it just really hits home, and uh, it was it was exceptionally well done. Probably Russians um, really know how to depress people. Oh, they do, and Metro is really good at depressing people. But this was more than just depression. This was like proper like sadness, you know. Like it's a very depressing game, but this broke through that depression and brought like more than melancholy. This was like proper sadness. This was grieving sort of thing, and it was yeah, it was really really good. Depressing, just good. Let's try and cheer that up a little bit, maybe. (laughs) Keep the sort of first-person shooter alive. 
I've tried to focus at least somewhat on interactive sequences, but yeah. Um, Wolfenstein Two. This is your favorite game for that year, Huso. It was. I think Adolf Hitler shooting Ronald Reagan in the head. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say the um, new body. That's also pretty good. But... <laughs> I mean, I forgot. Doesn't he like pee in a bucket in that sequence? Like that whole Hitler sequence is actually super well done. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he's like a, a senile nutter on the moon base. Like an absolute nutcase. And, yeah. just still t- and yeah, it's on the moon, which just makes it even better. Yeah. <laughs> and then I had to have it explained to me. I wouldn't have ever picked it up. But like that actor he shoots is Ronald Reagan. Yes. Yeah. Which is yeah. like, Mwah. like mm-hmm. just kind of bring on the third game, you guys. Hurry up. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm The only upset bit about um, them doing Indiana Jones is the fact that it might delay Wolfenstein. And the Indiana Jones may never come out. I feel like that franchise is a um, potential development hell death zone. Mm. We'll see. I mean, does, does Disney own that now? It might have a better chance of coming out just because of that. <laughs> yeah, Disney owns it. And James yeah, Mag- Mangold is directing the new one. So the guy that did Logan. So um, that they're filming right now. So... Like that—that that makes me hopeful. Uh, a really good director behind it, because Logan is a properly good movie. So, well, speaking of um, crusty old men, then that just like slide in right naturally. Yeah. Is I know I am in a minority with this being maybe my favorite of the series, but the various moments at the end of Metal Gear Solid Four. That game, I, that game I went really some places Metal and did some Four. things. Metal Gear Solid Four is my favorite Metal Gear Solid, and I will die on that hill perhaps stupidly I feel but, like I'm in a weird position because I, I played Metal Gear 1 and Metal Gear 2 and I never played Metal Gear 3 and then I played 4 and I was like this game's amazing and I feel like everyone who loved Metal Gear 3 doesn't like Metal Gear 4 I also loved Metal Gear 3 which I played before Metal Gear 4 on it still Metal Gear 3 has maybe the most heartbreak, heartbreaking um, self-sacrifice ending but 4 I mean it's got that weird like Dude, who had the shits all the time, like, and maybe taking the comedy a bit too far, like, getting it on with, um, shit, I've forgotten the Colonel's daughter's name. Meryl. Is it Meryl? I don't remember. Um, Johnny and Meryl, yeah. Yeah, they've got the whole, the most intense bashing one button sequence in any game ever, where you were just kind of crawling through radiation. And a part of my monkey brain knows that this is not really doing anything, but I'm just ramming that X button as hard as I can, <laughs> as fast as I can. And at the very end of the game, it just turns into Street Fighter. <laughs> like, it, you're, like, kind of in this epic cinematic situation, yeah. and then the camera just goes side on, and, like, health bars appear, and you start punching each other. <laughs> can you do Hadoukens? I don't think you can, but it would not surprise me if sometime <laughs> in the next 10 years somebody found an Easter egg where it turns out you can. You can, yep. <laughs> Isn't the setup that it's like you and I can't remember if it's Liquid or Ocelot? I think at it's that Liquid. Point anymore, they they may be the same like person, these, the story is lost to me. Yeah. You're just these crusty old men, like, <laughs> yeah, like wailing on each other. <laughs> it's so good. I really like the ending of the game. Even if it did go on way too long, it did way too many things. Each piece of it was kind of priceless in its own way. Okay.
hey, wow, you can hear the Netflix in my house from a long way away. <laughs> I'm sure there's like lots of indie ones as well, smaller experiences that I found pretty impactful. Uh, Florence well, got- would be one. Uh, Still haven't played Florence. To the moon, if anyone's played that. Oh, one. my um, gosh. Pretty heart-wrenching. That is... Brothers Tales of Two Sounds like Tim has played Two Oh, To the Moon sold my girlfriend to why I play video games. Yeah. She was just raving about it to everybody. She was like, like this game just turns you into a blubbering mess. Oh, yeah. It's like if the notebook didn't suck. Tales, brother, Brothers Tale of Two Sons. Tale of Two Sons. That was... Um, yeah, but it's not as good as the developers just bash it crazy speak at the Oh, no, no, it's not. It's not... Um, <laughs> Joseph Ferris <laughs> on full Oh my flight. gosh, that was... <laughs> I've never enjoyed folding laundry as much in my life as when I was like in the adjacent room with that playing in the background. I'm just Oscars. folding shirts and this guy just starts sounding off and I'm just... <laughs> yes, yes. That's uh, quite quite a speech. Um, we're talking like specifically indie stuff, Undertale for me, I think. is just a walking down the corridor and having a lot of stuff explained to you at the very end. Like, just the pacing of those story beats and the way the music is all kind of, like, built up is just kind of, like, spot on. I would say Bastion for story beats in indies. I think the way the narrator works in that game is... I don't think it's a specific moment. It's this very specific it, idea that was genius. Yeah, to, to have the narrator. And, you know, you'll just be smacking some, you know, pots or something and the narrator will sound off about, you know, he was, how the kid was unleashing his rage on the, the uh, unassuming pots or something, you know. And, and it just the small touches, like having that narrator was... It, it took a game... It was probably fairly... Like, it was a well-put-together game, don't get me wrong, no. but it wasn't... It gave wasn't, it so much more flavour. Yeah, it wasn't anything we hadn't seen before, and that narrator just took it to the next level. Yeah. Um, is, there a is there anything... Oh, I've almost... Have you guys played Soma? Which one? what? Soma? No. Uh, I, I from the... played a tiny bit and then stopped, so I want to say no. Oh, Okay. Um, that game is amazing for a number of reasons, but there is one really impactful moment. And now I don't want to spoil it because you haven't played it, but we said there'd be spoilers. Um, and there have been spoilers. Yes. No, I love this game too much. If you haven't played Soma, go and play Soma. <laughs> All right, never mind. It will, it's just... It's that weird a moment. But if anyone Not- who's out there who has played Soma probably knows the moment I'm talking about, and oh my god. Never it's, thought that... It's such a good game. The game that would be too good for spoilers would be Soma. That's not <laughs> something I saw coming in. Um, let me run through the last few. Um, there's the one that I think I have to mention because I'm me, which is the Leap of Faith in Nights into Dreams. Yeah. Where this entire game kind of hinges around the idea of like these two kids and they're having nightmares and it's kind of just messing up their confidence in school in the basketball court or whatever. And so each dream they kind of like meet nights and they kind of fuse and basically wear him like a skin or wear it like a skin. And then at the end of each one you kind of get back as like some sort of idiot or like some part of your personality or more like like courage or wisdom or whatever. And then you get to the very last stage with either character and like you try to connect with knights and it just sends you flying to this tiny little island. 
And I think the first time I played this, I spent like 10 minutes just like rotating the camera going, what the, what the fuck, where do I go? And it's such a simple trick. I don't know if it'd fly anymore, but in like 1996 or whenever this came out, it flies beautifully, which is you just, eventually you just have no choice. You have to jump off this thing and it just like fades to nothing. And then it's just this really chirpy little whistle and this kind of like very, you can do anything kind of music kicks in and then the character just comes flying up again, just flying by their own will. And the message in itself is incredibly twee. It's this whole just believing yourself nonsense, but just the execution of it was just so spot on. Um, And more recently, I have to say, shout out to Final Fantasy VII Remake for that um, cross-dressing sequence. They took something that was maybe a little problematic in the first game and just made it fabulous. (laughs) Have you gotten there yet, Huso? No, I've I've just finished the first... I've just gotten Aerith permission to try out for the dude whatever he is on corneo yeah yeah yeah, corneo i just i just finished the arena stuff and yeah so that sequence is so good it's it's just entirely done as a dance sequence and they've put so much production value into it (laughs) of cloud just getting changed into a dress and you've got in the audience and um erith and tiffa are both there and they are just super excited and like hoopering and hollering him on (laughs) <laughs> and the whole thing, it is just adorable and lovely and oh, nice. fun. You I, will I ha- remember it. You cannot <laughs> miss it. <laughs> I had one, a couple more quick ones, like another Saints Row yep. one, which was the the use of um, holding on to Elder, holding out for a hero at the end of Saints Row 3. Oh, right, yeah. Which yep. has got to go down as some of the best music usage. Uh, actually, yeah, and not then- a song I would normally even recognise... Yeah, but it just works so well. And the other was another song moment actually in Saints Row, which is the um, where they're singing opposites attract in the car with Pierce. So you're just driving around. It's part of a mission, and you're just driving around. And Pierce goes, "Hey, can I put the radio on?" And um, opposites attract come on, and you know he plays the part of the dog, and you play the part of Vanessa Williams, and 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 sing opposites attract. And I thought that was just such a just a fantastic moment, and I think. That that more than anything in you know Saints Row Three, um, really said okay we're not we're not doing the Grand Theft Auto thing anymore we're 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 doing our own thing here so I'm so glad it like fell into that because the first Saints Row was just kind of like gross and like trying too hard yeah, to it was be like super a tough dodgy San Andreas clone um and then it just found itself in such a gloriously playful way yeah didn't it. Was it two that had the poop truck mission? Yes, I think so. And that, and I feel like that's when that probably got so talked about that they decided to lean hard into that aspect. It was the first one that had the insurance fraud quests as well, where you threw yourself in front of moving traffic to fraud, take money from the insurance agency. So yeah, it's over there. <laughs> and just to wrap this up, I guess. Um, Anything from VR from anybody? Uh, yeah, I would definitely say um, Beat Saber. In the same way that Guitar Hero is amazing, I would say Beat Saber is mm. exactly the same. Except I was wondering like if a, you're just kind of like boasting about your belt size. No, no, just... That shit just went down, yeah! Fight, playing like a Jedi to music, it's awesome. And the kids and I play it all the time still. It's... It's unreal. And now I've got the PC or the Oculus version. I can um, 
get custom songs for it too. So it's even better. Oh, nice. Um, I think I think an impactful moment for most people is the first time they use VR and it's actually yeah. good and <laughs> it you're like holy shit like that is actually properly amazing yeah like it's not this janky lawnmower man thing it like it is extremely immersive but then you need to remember how many cables you need to keep plugged in and how delicate this thing is on your head and you don't want to do it that often except for my oculus rift you know cable free yeah once once the tech is there and more affordable for people i think it will be amazing i'm i'm definitely a believer in the technology but i had a small child, which meant I couldn't spend hours in a oh, VR yeah, you set can't up exactly keep an eye anymore. on the kid when you're. So on the on the Oculus, I just got the play, um, Star Wars pinball, the the you know Zen that make uh, all the pin, good pinball yeah, yeah, yeah. games. They made the Star Wars pinball, and I thought, oh, you know, this is just going to be a gimmick sort of thing. It is so cool playing in VR, that. like because you know you. Is you're there playing... like a roller skating ring behind you? Like if you turn around. Yeah, there's all sorts of sh- weird no, shit. Like you look around and there's like the Millennium the Falcon flying past, or you know, oh. uh, Yoda sitting next to you while you play, giving you advice, and you can look down at him and he, and he, you know, do or do not. There is no try, sort of shit, while you're playing pinball, and and you can actually bump like you would in a on a pinball machine to get the tilt. Yeah. So, you know, things like that. And having the two joysticks, at one in each hand is very, very much like, you know, having your two buttons on side of the pinball table. Yeah. It worked really, really well. And I was, I was so impressed with something I thought was just going to be really gimmicky, but it actually added to virtual pinball in some really cool ways. Huh. It's, it's the kind of thing where I could see you literally building like a little miniature frame to have stand in front of you so you have that little bit of resistance. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> just put it up against the wall. Yeah. So got, like your two controllers yeah, on the side. Too out loud, push Steve, it a little bit. Start getting these just plastic tack that was sold for a yeah, lot of Yeah, yeah, the stuff. Wii stuff. <laughs> your your, your uh, pinball table for your Wiimotes. <laughs> oh, God, no. Um, and for me, it was like... Um, it, the last area in res in VR, like they made that oh, specific yeah. area That's- for res and like that whole thing was just, you can find, it's like you finally see what Mizuguchi had been trying to communicate for like 20 years of his life. With all of this, you know, technology that couldn't handle his vision and finally he could, was- and then you get, went to um, Tetris effect as well, which is yeah. mind blowing. I'm, um, I don't know if te- any moment of the Tetris Effect is quite as mind-blowing as that stage of Res, but Tetris Effect is probably the better game overall. I have a photo of a friend. This may be his greatest gaming moment ever, where he was playing white copy of Tetris Effect in VR, and he's got his wife feeding him a like, way too expensive craft beer that I provided for us through a straw while he's playing. <laughs> <laughs> it looks like he's having the time of his freaking life. <laughs> Pistol Whip's also very, very good for that. VR feeling like if you want to feel like John Wick that's the first game that really made you feel like John Wick was Pistol Whip I would like to feel like a not sad John Wick yeah well it's this it's just these string of on rails it's an on rail shooter essentially but that you've got the two pistols and you can dodge the bullets and kind of go through the music and it's it's yeah it's really good Cool. Well, as it is, I think we've been running pretty long, so I'm going to give you both one chance for one last thing. Steve, is there any other last little cool or impactful, I guess is our word, 
Ooh. You can't say I that. think just... I'm, I want, this is probably a little bit of a cheat, but one of the things that... Um, it's not my favorite game in the series, but just impactful is literally so many of the things in Breath of the Wild. Like when you finish that plateau area and then you come to that like that swooping shot and you get a sense of the scope and scale of the world and you're just kind of like, oh my God, like this early section felt like it was crazy enough and I've still got the entire world to explore ahead of me. Yeah, it probably does that better than anyone else. Anything else. Uh, Huso, I know I know yours is not going to be Breath of the Wild. <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, I, I'm going to say Netherrealm and uh, Mortal Kombat. It was Mortal Kombat 9. When Netherrealm finally went all in on story in, in a fighter and, and created these story modes that fighting games, still no one else has come close to what Netherrealm do as far as Which making... It sucks because... It, there are fighting so games cool. I want to play more, but I need a single player mode. You, and they've got they do single player so well. Like the the Mortal Kombat and the Injustice games have fantastic stories. Um, they got Tom Taylor in, I think, to write the Injustice. So he's a legit comic book writer. To come in and, and he wrote the actual Injustice comic book that followed on from the game. And so they do story so well and. No one seemed to copy them, and I don't get it. Like, there's been some very pale attempts. Street Fighters was terrible. Um, you know, but everyone else is still just pumping out, uh, assuming that if you're playing a fighting game, you're going to be playing competitively. And that's the assumption that they all make. Whereas Netherrealm yeah. said, no, there's a whole bunch of people that just want to have some fun yeah. here. And they, they've made it. So there's probably more content there for single players than there are multiplayers. And I just love that. That's what I want. I just want it in a fighting game that isn't Mortal Kombat. (laughs) Mortal Kombat's great. But yeah, try Injustice then. If 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 you've got any sort of fondness for any DC characters, then... Nope. nope. That doesn't help either. I want want a new virtual fighter. I want a really good single-player game in there. (laughs) Or Soul Calibur. Those have gone downhill in their single-player. Yeah, they have. Since Dreamcast. Tekken tried to do this. Tekken 7 tried to do the story thing. And and Uh, it's just so convoluted and waffly and... No, it wasn't great. Tekken always tried to do the story thing and they never did it well. It was always like, oh man, I don't care that old mate and young mate. having beef with his dad. Yeah, These games whatever. really aren't that interesting. I'm going to wrap this up yeah. here and say at the very least though it gave us that friggin' Nintendo Cliff. Direct opening. Yeah. <laughs> so we got, we got that ultimately accumulated in Kirby getting thrown off a cliff yep. into a volcano yep. which of course didn't actually land in. I guess I'm going to touch on this the one thing that I thought we might say more of, but I think we went more into scripted territory. Was I just have this distinct memory of one, I think, towards the end of university, um, Halo Land Night. I think it was Halo 2. Mm. And I may have been the only person there who didn't actually own an Xbox. So I was terrible. I was a liability for my team. <laughs> but because I was so, that's a quite so bad, but so unaware of exactly what the stakes were, I got the winning shot in this completely in this one like down to the final point game and the only reason i did it was because i had no idea what was going on like i <laughs> shot the sniper in the head who would have won the other team the game and then the game just ended and i was like cool and then i became the hero of the room and i was still like i don't understand what i did <laughs> you didn't even realize it i mean one one great way to be ice cold is to not understand there should be pressure in the first place yes 
Anyway, with that, we have been rambling on a bit for quite a while, so um, hopefully the end of the show is going to survive the recording this time. Yes. So, do you have anything to pimp? Where can we find you? What would you like us to look at? Uh, player 2, uh, we'll have some, hopefully, some cooking videos up very soon because we announced uh, we've hot sent the winners, the winners for, for the Hot Sauce of Oblivion competition. So I've got all the recipes. Um, I'm just going to work out some logistics on how to... Uh, prepare them in front of camera because it's the first time doing any of that sort of thing but in important matters i did get a player two apron for the event so <laughs> i've got the important things down now just to work out how to fucking do it but yes player two head over there i'm at huso81 on twitter the twitterverse yep and steve uh, again, just check out Player Two. Uh, I have a few things popping up over there. I just did a review of the Steel Series Rival Five, which is a lovely uh, mid-price, high-performance uh, gaming mouse. So check that out, and uh, you should be able to jump onto the website and read my Game Builder Garage review uh, as soon as you finish listening to this podcast. So go to Player Two or during, yeah. And I myself am at. Pretend being on the Twitters and probably have not put up anything since I was disappointed by that Wonder Boy, not Wonder Boy thing. <laughs> I will get you a game you like, yeah, I swear. I, I thought you I, would I, buy I am that one. Owed, <laughs> I am owed a good game. I am owed something. <laughs>